Thank you, Ravi. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 9. Now let's, let's go there. I was, uh, last week I preached a message called Undeserved. When I got to the last point, I, I rushed through it rather hurriedly, and, and it was from this chapter. And I wanted to go back and just look at just what I wanted to show you from that point. And I began to see quite a bit more in this, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. Why do we supplicate God? Why do we supplicate God? Verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O oh my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O oh my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Beholding our sin and beholding God's mercies to his people for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see Christ, we see all God's mercy is in Christ. And the more we see our sin and his mercy for the sake of Christ, the more, brethren, all our supplication, all our supplication will be simply for the sake of Christ. Simply for the sake of Christ. Beholding our sin, beholding God's mercies for Christ's sake, we supplicate God. We come to God and supplicate God, but not for our righteousness' sake. We supplicate God because of his great mercies. The more you see his great mercies, the more willing he makes you to come to him and supplicate God. See it again there in verse 18. We do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but because of thy great mercies. It's the great mercies of God to his people. His great mercies to us for the sake of his Son, that makes us willing and have boldness to come to the throne of grace to supplicate God in prayer. Now, first of all, what does it mean to supplicate God? What does that mean? Supplication is earnestly, humbly begging God to provide our need. It's humbly, earnestly begging God to provide our need to supply all our need. Do we need just for God to occasionally supply our needs? Like, you know, are we, do we do all right most of the time, but we just have a few needs now and then, and occasionally we need him to supply those needs? Well, we certainly have the time of need. The Scripture tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But our time of need 
are those special times when the Lord actually makes us see we have a need. There's some times when He makes you see your need. That's our time of need. But truthfully, all the time is our time of need. We need the Lord to provide all the time. And it's not just some of our needs, the ones we see occasionally. We need our Lord to provide all for us, all the time. That is so, brethren. That is so. It's God our Father, through His Son Christ Jesus, who is providing all the need of His elect people. He supplies all our need. Everything we're given is from God. That tells you He supplies all your need. All You have all need, and He supplies all your need. Philippians 4.19, Paul said, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. John said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from above. You remember whenever David and the children of Israel, they offered so abundantly to build the temple. And David prayed to God and he said, Who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee. And of thine own have we given thee. He's saying, Everything we have, you gave it to us, God, and we've just given you what is already yours. All that we have, God gave us. It's because we need all. We need God to provide all. So when we supplicate God, asking Him to provide for our need, we're asking Him to provide for all, to provide all for us, all for us. Now, so you get it supplicating, it's begging earnestly, begging God to provide to meet all our need. That's, that's what supplicating God is. It's okay to call out for particular needs. We're going to see that in this as we go through it. But, but it's, it's supplicating God. It's asking God to supply us with, with our need. Now, secondly... I just want to take what he says here because this is such a good statement. We do not present our supplications to God because of any good in us. Verse 18, we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses. The Pharisees in our Lord's parable, or the Pharisee in our Lord's parable, he didn't supplicate God at all. He didn't supplicate God at all. He declared himself full of righteousnesses. You remember? He said, he, the Lord said, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee. I'm not as other men. I'm not, a, uh, they're extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I'm not even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He didn't need God to supply him with anything. He was telling God all his righteousnesses. That's not supplicating God at all. But that, fair, that, that publican, 
stood afar off and wouldn't even look up to God, but smote upon his breast and asked, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's what Daniel's doing in this chapter. And the Lord said, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself should be abased, and he that abases himself should be exalted. We need to hear that all the time. That's one of our needs that we supplicate God for. Lord, save me from this Pharisee that's in my sin nature that wants to be exalted over others. Now, it was the Spirit of God that moved Daniel to pray. And when we pray, it's always the Spirit of God that does it. He moves us to supplicate God. Now, Daniel, along with the children of Israel and the children of Judah, had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They'd been in captivity for 70 years. The Spirit of God revealed to Daniel that the 70 years of captivity had come to its end. That's what moved him to pray. And this revelation humbled Daniel. He he humbled himself down to God's feet and began to supplicate God. In verse 3, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. When God first called us and when he... uh, We've been that when he first called you, we've been in Babylonian captivity all our days. When he first called you, you had been in Babylonian captivity all your day. And each time God delivers his saint from chastisement, each time he's delivering you from his chastening hand, he's delivering you from the captivity of our sinful flesh. Just as real as Daniel and the whole nation was being delivered out of Babylonian captivity. The Spirit of God comes and He reveals the good news in our hearts and brings us to confess to God that we don't present our supplications before Thee for our righteousnesses. We begin to supplicate God, confessing our sins and breaking all God's law. I want you to see this now. Daniel praised God for two things. He praised God for for doing two things, for God doing two things. Verse 4, he said, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, that means the great God to be feared. Now this is what he said, keeping the covenant and keeping mercy. That's what he keeping the covenant and keeping mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Daniel glorified God as the great and fearful God who keeps the covenant. The covenant's the law. The covenant's the law. He glorified God for being the great God who keeps his own law and all the promises in it. God keeps his law by pouring out justice on every sinner who breaks his law. That's that's how he keeps his law. He pours out justice on every sinner that breaks his law. God keeps his law by no means clearing the guilty. Daniel saw God keep his covenant. He saw that. He saw God keep the law. He saw him keep his covenant, not by God pouring out the full fury of wrath upon him and upon the nation, 
but he saw it by God afflicting him and all his brethren by putting them in Babylonian captivity. He saw that God really keeps his covenant by God justly putting them in Babylonian captivity. Now that was the first thing he thanked God for and praised God for. And then the second thing, he praised God as the great and fearful God who also shows mercy to his elect people. He praised God for making justice and mercy meet in harmony. He praised God for making truth and mercy meet together in peace. That's what he said. You're the great and, and, and fearful God who keeps your covenant and keeps mercy. And keeps mercy. He saw a glimpse of God's justice, but God afflicted him in, afflicting him in Babylonian captivity for seven years, 70 years. And he saw, saw God's mercy, but God delivering him from it. But be sure to get this. Be sure to get this. It will take the Spirit of God teaching us in our heart to make us get this right here. Here's the paradox of the gospel of God's grace right here. God only does this to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. That's what he said. He praised him for being the God who keeps his covenant and shows mercy. And that he does it to them that love him and keep his commandments. And in the very next breath, Daniel confesses, and we've never once kept your commandments. Not one time. Not he not any of the children of Israel, not any of the children of Judah. That's what he confessed, that they had sinned in departing from God's commandments by refusing to hear God's, and by refusing to hear God's preachers. Look here in Daniel 9, 5. He says, he just said, you do this to them that love you and keep your commandments. And he said, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. This is the paradox of God's grace right here, brethren. This is what it takes the Spirit of God to teach us, to make us understand Loving God and keeping His commandments include hearing the Ten Commandments in our heart declare us guilty so that we confess that we have no righteousness of our own by the law, so that we confess we've sinned in breaking every commandment. That's who God loves, and that's who keeps His commandments. Those who love God and keep His commandments. Keep His commandments by confessing to God, we've never kept your commandments. Never, never kept them. The point we're looking at is verse 18. We do not present our supplications before Thee for our righteousnesses. 
And that's what Daniel's declaring. Listen to Daniel, justify God. He's justifying God as he confesses his own sin and as he makes intercession for the sins of his brethren. He's praising God for God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Look at this in verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. <laughs> we don't have any righteousness to, to come and... And, and deserve any favor from you, God, to supplicate you. We don't have any righteousness. Righteousness belongs to thee, God. But unto us, confusion of faces as at this day. He includes himself and all his brethren. Daniel includes himself. He said, he said to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries where the valley's driven them because of their trespass that they've trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face. That's what belongs to us, he said, to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against thee. Daniel's putting himself right there in in the mix as being the sinner. He's like the, he's like the publican in our Lord's parable. Verse 9, To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. Now he just said to thee belongs righteousness. Righteousness is God's justice. It's God doing what's right and just. And now he says to thee belong mercies and forgiveness. Though we've rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is come poured upon us, and the oath that's written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we've sinned against him. God promised in the law. He promised them in the law that he would destroy the nation, Israel, that political nation, for disobeying him. He promised that. And Daniel's saying, all that's come upon us because we've sinned against you, Lord. Righteousness belongs to you. You're keeping your covenant. And he said, and you're showing us mercy and forgiveness. Verse 12 and he hath confirmed his words. He, he said it in, he gave us an oath in the law of Moses, and he's confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven earth hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. And as, as it's written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. You know what is happening with Daniel right here? I, I don't, you know, people, this is one of the most debated chapters in all of Scripture because it talks about the 70 weeks and, and, and all the weeks and the time and time and a half, and people get hung up on that, and they completely miss Christ and the gospel. But I want you to see Christ and the gospel. Just hear what Daniel himself is saying, just himself as one sinner, just like it's just you and God. And hear what he's saying. 
God brought Daniel to do exactly what God brought Paul to do when the commandment came to Paul. Remember that, Romans 7? Paul said, I was going along and I thought I was righteous and I thought I was keeping the law. And he said, but when the commandment came and God made me hear it, he said, sin revived. I saw my sin and all of my so-called righteousness died, completely died. This is the paradox that only God is able to teach his people right here. This is the paradox right here. He makes you hear the law declare us guilty. And every God, every believer, God saves, loves God. We do. By his, by his grace, he's put a new heart in you to love him. And, the one, and one of the ways we keep his commandments is this right here. We agree with the law. And we confess to God that we're the guilty sinner with no righteousness of our own with which to supplicate God. We confess to God we've transgressed your law, God. We've done exactly opposite of what your law tells us to do. We haven't done what the law commands. That's when you delight in the law of God in the inward man. Tell me so. Isn't that so, believer? That's when you delight in the law of in the law of God in the inward man, because God taught us our flesh is only sin. Paul said, I had not known sin but by the law. He said, Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. I delight in it. It showed me I don't have a righteousness with which to ask God to meet my needs. I have nothing to present to God, to supplicate God with. And Daniel's not just talking about that they've done a little sin here and there. He's talking about from the time God gave them the law all the way to that point, Lord, we've never kept your law one time. We've never kept your covenant. They stood at Mount Sinai and said, all that God commands, we'll do it. And they, before God, they entered a covenant with God. They said everything God commands in this law, we'll do it. And so they were saying, We'll, we'll take care of our side of the covenant. We'll do it. And, and Daniel sat here praying to God saying, Lord, we have never once kept, him, kept one commandment. Not one. We transgressed your law. And then you sent prophets after prophets after prophets to us. And we didn't listen to them either. You see, the purpose of the law is to show us our sin. That's the purpose of for which God gave it. You know, breaking them breaking God's law was not a surprise to God. When God was giving Moses the law, they were down there at the bottom of the mount dancing around a golden calf. <laughs> and besides that, we all had already broke the law in Adam when God gave the law. Why then was the law given? Why was it given? It was given to show us our sin. That's why it was given. Listen to this now. I want you to look at this. Go to Joshua 23, 14. I'm going to try to be shorter in this message. I got carried away last time on the first message. But look here at Joshua. Look at Joshua 23. This is what Joshua told them. Just like uh, Moses had told them, all the curses that would come upon them, well, look, Joshua, when he was about to die, 
He told them this, and I want you to pay attention to this. He told the children of Israel that they would surely disobey God and disobey his commandments and that God would destroy the nation. He told them that. <laughs> it's no if then to it. Watch this, Joshua twenty three fourteen. He said, And behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing have failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. The Lord fulfilled everything he promised them, delivered them into Canaan, defeated their enemies, did everything he promised Israel. Look at verse 15. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you. He didn't say if you do it. He said when you have done it. When you have done it, and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. See, when God gave the law, this was God's purpose from the beginning. God knew they weren't going to keep the law. He knew, he knew they weren't. Why did he give it then? Romans 5.20. Please, if you don't have this mark, please mark it and read this. Romans 5.20 is why he gave the law. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. That's why it entered. He said, he had said in Romans 5, by one man's disobedience, by Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. We all sinned in Adam. And then he said, and then at Sinai, God gave the law. The law entered that the offense might abound, that you might see how you broke the law in Adam and have no possibility of coming to God and presenting your supplications because of any righteousness in you, ever, <laughs> ever. Romans 3.19 says this thing's the same thing. We know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. By the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But here's the good news. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It was, if there's any here who would supplicate God, then you go to God confessing you are the sinner. Don't go to God trying like the, like the Pharisee. Go to God like the publican saying, Lord, we not supplicating you because of any righteousness in us. Go like Daniel went. We've broken every law you've given, Lord. You're just to put, put, put us in condemnation. You're just to do it. You've upheld your covenant. You've done exactly what you said you would do in your law. What gives God's child a willingness to supplicate God? If that's, if that's true of you, and God makes you see, just like he made Daniel, Daniel sees his sin. He sees, I don't have a righteousness to come to God. Then what made Daniel willing to go to God and ask God to supply all his need? What made him do that? Verse 15. 
He said, Now, O Lord, our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as at this day. You, you've made a name for yourself, Lord, by bringing us out of Egypt. And he said, We've sinned. We've done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all that are about us. Hear what he just said. He, this is why he went to God and made a supplication and asked to be delivered. He said, Lord, you've delivered us out of Egypt. And when you did that, you put your name on us. And he said, for your righteousness sake, for your name's sake, don't let them go on reproaching us anymore. Deliver us out, Lord. He's praying for God's righteousness sake. Well, well that, doesn't that seem strange that a sinner who just declared, I completely disobeyed your law, would plead God's righteousness Lord, in justice, do this for us. When he's sitting there saying, we don't have a righteousness to bring to you. I have no righteousness with which to ask you this. That's the point. He's not pleading his righteousness. He's pleading the righteousness of the Lord. Look here at verse 18. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 17. Therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that's desolate for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. Somebody will say, well, Christ, had, Christ hadn't even come forth yet. Christ has always been the righteousness of God's people. From eternity, he's been the righteousness of God's people. He was the one pictured in the Passover lamb. And that's what he's saying here. You delivered us out, Lord, through that Passover lamb. And for that Passover lamb's sake, Lord, have mercy on us. That lamb's Christ. That lamb is Christ. Look at verse 18. Oh, my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses but for thy great mercies. It's because of your great mercies that were coming to you. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Delay not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Everything is for God's sake. Do you see this? Everything is for the righteous because of the sake of Christ and for the sake of his righteousness. We don't have any righteousness to bring, Lord. But just like he said before, he said, it was your mercies that delivered us. And you've upheld your law. You've kept your law. And you've also been merciful. How can God keep uphold his law and be merciful? The only way he can do that, brethren, is to send his son. And he, you know, there was a lot of people in Israel that were not God's elect. We saw that Thursday night from Romans 9. Not all Israel are of Israel. There's a lot in Israel that weren't God's elect. But for Daniel and others that were God's chosen, God, while he poured out this justice and was desolating the nation, he was being merciful to his people. 
And it's because in Christ Jesus, Christ already satisfied the full fury of God's justice for us. And so now God's just to be merciful to us. And so that's why God didn't totally destroy Israel at that time. is because he had a remnant in the midst of it. He had a remnant like Daniel. He had a remnant. And so for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is righteous to sow us great mercies and forgiveness and deliver us all our days, just like he did Daniel. Daniel had been, this would be like, Daniel been in that for 70 years. This would be like you being chastened for your sin for 70 years. And then the Lord sends you a word that says, I'm delivering you out of this. That's what happened when he first sent the gospel to you. When he first sent the gospel to you, you've been in that captivity all your days. And he comes and declares, I'm delivering you out of it. What did it make you do? It made you hit your face and declare, God, you've been just to do this. You've been just in everything you've done. I see your justice now because you've shown me Christ. And I also see how you can justly be merciful to me because you've shown me Christ. Brethren, salvation's not about God saving us and our puny little butt out of our troubles we get ourselves into. Salvation is about God bringing glory to his holy name, declaring himself righteous. That's what salvation's about. And it's about giving his son all preeminence, making him the fullness of his people because he is that righteousness God's provided for his people. That's what our salvation's about. Heaven is going to be about praising the King of glory all our days for eternity. That's what it's going to be about. God's put his name on us. He's put his name on his people. And therefore, Daniel's begging God, for your namesake, save us. They're reproaching us for your namesake. This sanctuary is broken down, Lord, because of our sin, my sin. And he... He confesses to God, it's my sin, and it's the sin of all the children of Judah. It's the sin of all the children of Israel. They were divided. They didn't want to have anything to do with each other. And he said, and there's not a person that's innocent. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't have a righteousness to come before you with, Lord. It is only your righteousness, God. It is only your mercy that saved us. And the only way the two can be true... I'm trying to think how I can say this and make it as plain as I can say it. There is no way you could go to the electric chair and and God let you live. There's no way both could happen. So what did God do? He sent His Son to go to the cross That's what that was. The cross was the capital punishment. It was the death penalty for all those Christ represented. It was not in any shape, form, or fashion just God giving you the possibility that if you want to avail yourself of that, then you can, and you can apply that, his righteousness to you. That's not what it was. Do you know how arrogant you would have to be to say God sent his own son and left, left it up to a sinner who, Scripture says by nature, hates God and will not come to God and doesn't want to know God, that he sent his son and then left it to you. Do you that that's us of giving ourselves so much arrogancy and so much worthiness. 
not only not only that, but brethren, the whole thing that took place on Calvary's cross is the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just die for ambiguous sins. He died for the sins of a particular people. Scripture says, He hath made him sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen to this past tense. And when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In these last days, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Well, right here in this chapter, the next thing that the, the Lord revealed to Daniel is when Christ come, this is what he would accomplish. Verse 24, he would finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision of prophecy, fulfill it all, and anoint the most holy. And that's what he did. So then, when justice has been poured out, the law can't say anything else. Whenever, uh, whenever, uh, we'll just, we, I know there's conspiracy theories, and we'll just say that uh, it really was Lee Harvey Oswald that killed JFK. As far as we know, it was. We don't, we don't know the truth of it. But here's the thing. When he come out of that basement and that parking garage and Jack Ruby shot him and killed him, the law couldn't say nothing else to him. Why? He died. That's it. When Christ died on Calvary's cross, everybody he represented died. And the law can't say another thing to them. Not another thing to them. And not only that, but because every one of them died under the justice of God's law and God was righteous and just and poured out his justice on them, now, because his law is honored, God's just to show every one of them mercy and give you eternal life and save you. That's salvation. That's salvation. That's what Daniel's praying for right here. He, the reason we come to God, brethren, needy sinners were scared to death of the Pharisees because they was afraid they'd be condemned by them. They wouldn't come to them. Why do we come to God? What makes you willing to come to God? You, you know, you hear this and somebody say, well, if I was that guilty and I saw myself as that much of a sinner, I wouldn't come to God. Well, it's not that only that makes you come to God. It's him making you see what a vile sinner you are, but making, him, making you see that in Christ you are righteous and God is just to show you mercy. And, and Daniel says, it's for your great mercy's sake, Lord, that we come to your throne of grace. That's why we come. He, he saw this coming, it was and as soon as he prayed this, what did the Lord sent Gabriel and showed him? Christ. And as soon as you pour out your heart to the Lord and beg his mercy and show and confess your sin and take sides with God against yourself and, and own Christ to be your righteousness, God shows you Christ in your heart again and shows you you're his. 
Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'll end with this. Hebrews 10. I, I tell y'all, I, I'm going to have to dial it, start dialing it back. I've I got not hand. I'm preaching too long. Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is, well, verse 15. The Holy Ghost is a witness to us. This is what the Lord teaches us. He said, this is the covenant I will make with them and after those days, saith the Lord. This is after Christ accomplished what Daniel was told there in Daniel 9. He said, he said, I'll put my laws into their hearts and their minds will I write them. That's how you're going to know you're a sinner and confess you don't have a righteousness to come to God with. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That's how you know God's merciful and he's forgiven you. Now where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. What's that going to make you want to do? Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, to come to God and pour out your heart to Him in supplication by a new and living way which Christ has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having Christ our high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I hope some of that made sense to you. I'm trying to say reason we come to God is for His great mercy's sake. He's righteous to show us mercy. And that's what makes you come and freely pour out your heart to God and ask God, please provide all my need. Because you see, He's made you righteous and He's just to be merciful to you. Lord bless His Word. All right, Brother Greg.